You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. Do you think it takes more work to be in active addiction or to be in active recovery? They're both hard. The lengths you went to get high, right? Think about it. And then the lengths you went to get sober, right? Because you have to do the work. My guest today is named Brock Bevel. He is a former undercover police officer turned opioid addict. He's here today to share his story about addiction and recovery. Welcome to the show, Brock. Hey, so I'm Brock Bevel. I am the owner of Chase the Vase. And just, man, let's, uh, first of all, thank you. Thanks for having me. I've listened to your shows. I did. I kind of went on a binge listening to them. I had, to, I had to go a few hours to watch my daughter graduate this year. So I stuck you guys on digging it, man. So nice, nicely done. I appreciate it. And I, I'm excited to talk to another addict. In, in my opinion, in my, in, in my opinion, I think addicts are just the strongest freaking dudes I've ever met. And as, as you, as you know, I've worked in law enforcement. I, uh, I'm from Arizona right here, born and bred. I haven't really left except for a time that I left to, to serve a mission from my church where I lived in South America and lived in Paraguay actually, which was cool. So I, I was an athlete growing up. My family's huge in athletics. Um, and that kind of is, I, I believe that background is what saved me being, being athletic and having some of that mental toughness and having some difficulties growing up is what set me up for my, my pivot point and my active addiction. So I, I got on with the Mesa police department in 1994 I always wanted to be a police officer as far back in my journals, homework assignments from middle school, from, from the little schools, you know, when, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a cop. So I got on, man. And I got on in 1994 and absolutely loved the profession. I, I know people are seeing the news now and all the crap that's going on. It's always been there. It's just on a, on, it's on a highlighted scale. And so what's interesting is I, when I, when I got on, I was a fish out of water. You know, I didn't, I didn't know how to act. You know, you, you learn everything in the Academy. And I, I remember one specific teaching that kind of, that kind of really helped me uh, kind of uh, make me well-rounded, if that makes any sense. Like what, what kind of put me in the mind frame of, of who we were as police officers were doing a training and we're all in class and they pulled us out individually. Now, when you're in the Academy, you wore a white shirt, you wore a tie, dress slacks and dress shoes, right? They want you professional. Well, they pull you out individually one by one. I get out there and they're like, okay, man, here's your gun belt. Clip it on. So I clip a gun belt on, you know, here's, here's a fake plastic gun, put it in your pocket, in your holster. All right. This is your first scenario as a police officer follow me. So they take you out around the corner. They say, okay, that parking lot right there, there's a domestic, there's a, there's a fight in progress right now. Two men are fighting. 
what you need to go is go handle the situation as you would as a, as a full blown cop. So I was like, all right, you know how you get, you get excited. The adrenaline's running. You got this fake gun on you. You know, you want to prove to everybody that you can do this job and you walk out in the parking lot and there's two men actively engaged in a fight. So what do you do? You funnel it into it, right? You put, put all your attention into that. And so I ran over there. Hey, you know, raised my voice. They weren't listening. I start screaming again. Hey, hey, back up, you know. And then all of a sudden this dude walks up behind me because I was paying so much attention to what was in front of me. And he put a gun to the back of the head and pulled the trigger and says, you're dead. Ooh. So I remember like my shoulders slumped, my head went down thinking I failed the scenario. And he looks at me face to face. He goes, keep fighting. You're never dead. Fight. Just because you got shot doesn't mean you die. People get shot 20, 30 times sometimes and they still live. It's just your, your, your mind has to be there. So get your mind right. And that was kind of a, that was kind of something that was always stuck in the back of my head as, Hey man, you're a fighter. So, you know, what happened was there was two incidents specifically in my career that that kind of shifted. I didn't grow up in a home where there was addiction. Understand that I did. I did develop a pornography addiction as a as an early kid when I was eight years old, saw my first Playboy, couldn't get out of my mind and went through a vicious cycle of looking at pornography and masturbation, you know, that whole, then that shame and guilt and remorse and all that crap comes on. And then that just continued in my life. But I didn't understand. I didn't know it was an addiction. I just thought I wasn't tough enough. I thought that I, you know, I, I had a God that I, I could turn to him and he could help me. And I, I never felt that, man. It was a, just a big struggle. But I wouldn't ever have said, hey, that's an addiction until later in life, right, where I had some people that mentored me and talked me through it. I just thought I was a little kid that was had no self-control, right? But isn't that addiction? We all carry that same gene. None of us have any self-regulation. Yeah. So the first incident happened two days after Christmas, uh, December 27th. This guy was driving. His name was Wade Jordan. He was driving in Arizona on, on our big highway thoroughfare through our town, US 60. And he won't stop. He won't pull over. He's drunk, obviously. He's got his hand out, says, hey, if you guys pull me over, I'm going to kill all of you. I can't go back to jail. This will be my fifth DUI, something like that. Make a long story short, we finally pull him over after about 30 miles later, went in and out of traffic. He gets pulled, he makes a wrong turn and pulls into a cul-de-sac. And we come in and do a felony stop on him, which means we just there's a car on the left, car on the right, and there's a car in the middle, and we just we pin him in. You've seen all that on cops and stuff, I'm sure. Right. Mm -hmm. And he gets out of his car. And we have a we have an attack team, an assault team that approaches him. They have a shield. They approach him. He's got a knife in his hand. I'm going to kill you guys. But they can't get close enough to grab him. So we tase the guy. No effect. We pepper sprayed the guy. No effect. We beanbag the guy. No effect. Canine goes and bites him twice. No effect. And I'm like, damn, what is going on here? Right. He won't give up. But he's, but he's callous, too. He's just standing there. He's not even talking. He's not talking. There's no dialogue with us. He gets back in his truck, throws it in drive, and comes at me. So I'm the, I'm the car that's directly in front of him. I have my door open. I have my AR-15 in the window. And when he drives at me, I shoot two rounds. First round hits him in the chin. 
Second round hits him right under the collarbone, kills him. And, you know, the adrenaline is pumping right then. And then we go over the course, we run up to him and pull him out of the vehicle and he's on the ground and we're, you know, and all I can think about is how angry and pissed off I was. I was so mad, dude. And I'm like, I'm thinking, who is this guy that's making me shoot him two days after Christmas? What is it about him that put him in this spot? I was an alcoholic, 50 UI. Um, it was hard, man. And so I wanted to understand addiction. I wanted to understand because I loved working dope. I, my, my goal was to arrest every single person in the world that carried dope on them. You know, you just kind of get focused like that. All of my traffic stops were, were dope related. Um, I became a, a scat officer, which is called special crimes apprehension team. And it was when we got to work undercover, right? All I wanted to do was rest dopers. I wanted to, I wanted to sell the most amount of cocaine and, and meth and dope. And, you know, I wanted, I wanted those. It was weird, man. I was like, Brett, I was driven to arrest people who were using. And then fast forward from that scene now that, that happened in December. Now, a, f- a few months later, um, we're working some street crimes and this lady who was a, a prostitute who we use as a confidential informant, which I'm going to say this, Brad, if you don't know, the best confidential informants in the world are prostitutes. You know, they know everything, dude. They know the streets. They know all the all the players. If you need intel, go to the prostitutes. I'm serious. They're 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 so well connected. Well, this this prostitute, I don't know how she got this information, but she found out that there was going to be a drug deal that was going to arrive right across the street where we were at. She didn't want to go to jail for her misdemeanor warrant. So she's like, hey, if I give you some information, will you let me go? And we're like, okay, if the information's credible and real and good, we'll let you go. And she tells us that there's going to be a white female that's going to be have a passenger that's 12 years old. And she is going, her intention is to sell her daughter. So this was her daughter as the passenger, sell her daughter to a drug dealer in exchange for drugs. Right. She was, so she was going to switch out. She was going to let her, let her 12 year old daughter have sex with this man for drugs. And, and, and Brett, I don't know about you. I don't know if you're a father or if you have little kids or not, or, or what your status is, but I'm a dad. I was a dad, you know? And when I heard this, that rage, I'm thinking who in the hell would be willing to prostitute their 12 year old daughter for dope. That didn't equate in my brain. That didn't make sense to me at all. And so lo and behold, man, here comes that, that white pickup truck pulls in the pulls in exactly where she says the guy, the doper, who we already knew on a bicycle comes down, comes to the passenger side conversations had and boom, goes down. So we get, we, we, we infiltrate it. We, we arrest the guy. We go to talk to mom. Mom decides, hey, you know what? I'm going to flee from these cops. I'm going to run them over. So she throws her truck in reverse, backs out. My partner who's in the front gets caught under the front tire. She rolls over his back and breaks his back. And I'm in the back right side. She catches my right foot under the tire. I go to twist out, break my ankle. Then I go to brace myself with my left foot, and she hits me around the inside of my knee and just, boom, blows my leg out, blows my knee out. Right. Crazy part is we talk about adrenaline, man, I was pissed. 
and jumped back up, right? Approached her. She had gotten stuck on this median. Her two tires got wedged into it. So she was kind of stuck. And we, we were able to, to get to her quick enough, guns drawn. She gave up. And, uh, and then we just, I just collapsed. I'm like, oh, my gosh, dude. Once everybody was in handcuffs and all the adrenaline wears off, I'm like, dude, I got a pretty severe injury, man. That freaking hurt. And, um, you know, that's where the process for my opioid addiction began. I go to the doctor. One of the first visits I had with this man, he told me, hey, you're a cop. You'll never get hooked on this stuff. Who says that? Who, who, what doctor in their right mind says that? But anyways, that's what he told me. So I'm like, okay, all right. Well, I rehabbed for a year, came back to work a couple of days, then blew my finger, I blew my hand out. And, and, and another altercation at the Systems of the Down Rob Zombie concert. A side note, best concert I've ever been to. Uh, anyways, blew my hand out and uh, the department just makes the decision that I didn't want. And they, um, they determined through the doctor that I'm medically unstable, that I can't come back to work because of the severity of the injuries. And, and that's, where, that's where my life changed. I don't know if, you, if, if you've been in a situation like this, Brett, but I all my machismo, all my cool points, who I thought I was, what made me cool was all wrapped up under the badge. Okay. And, and it made me something mentally in my head. I thought I was, I thought I was cooler than I am, you know, mm -hmm. because I, I get to rest bad guys. I, I'm cleaning out a community. I'm, 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 I'm putting in the effort, you know, I'm trying to make your place better. And I really took this on. That was my cause. And when they told me, hey, you, you can't do that anymore, I, I lost all of my identity. So, you know, I'm still rehabbing, trying to get back. I'm still having surgeries. But I noticed that the more opioids I took, the less my mind raced. I could calm that storm, you know, um, like, hey, you're not worthy. You're not, uh, you're not good enough. Uh, you can't handle this. And so I would just take self-medicate. I would take more opioids and that noise would go away and I had more energy, right? Yes. Was it, was it killing the pain from my leg and my, my hand surgery and all that? Yes. But it was also closing the noise down in my head. And so that's what a lot of people don't understand is that's how we get wrapped up in this addiction. You know, we, we really are, we're trying to medicate our minds. We're trying to heal Nobody, right? I don't know about you, brother. I know you said you had a, a methamphetamine addiction, but was there a morning you woke up and said, Hey, I want to be an addict today? And <laughs> no, right? It just doesn't happen, man. Like, so let me let me pose this question. Maybe this 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 will stick with your audience. Do you think it takes more work to be in active addiction or to be in active recovery? Right. They're both hard. Mm -hmm. They both suck. Right. Because because you have to do the work. Think about your chase to find methamphetamines. The lengths you went to get high. Right. Think mm -hmm. about it. And then the lengths you went to get sober. Man, we we'd do anything. And so that's kind of what happened with me. This my addiction took me 10 years, 10 years down the road, man. Lost a marriage, 
relationship, time with my kids. I had no professional life. I was going in between jobs. You know, I'm retired. I'm getting a pension, but I'm still like, dude, nothing fits, man. Nothing is bringing me that excitement, you know, because working undercover and working at the, the levels we were working at, I almost felt like I was in a nitro circus video where you did not know what was happening. And the ship was just flying everywhere. Like you didn't know what was happening. Right. And, and in that chaos, I loved it. My, my mind wasn't speaking to me. I was on overload. I was adrenaline kicked and I was, I was good at what I was doing. But then when I retired and I went home, I had small babies, small children. And I'm sitting here now changing diapers and washing dirty clothes and cleaning the house. I'm like, not that it's anything wrong with that. You know, it just was not what I was used to. So fast forward 10 years and I'm, I'm in and out of that consciousness of like, Brock, you got to quit. You got to get off this stuff. You're, you're highly medicated. And though I wasn't, uh, I never had to chase it. You know, a lot of people like, especially with methamphetamines and straight drugs, you have to chase it. I went to my doctor. He would give me 360, 390, but I mean, those big bottles, he would fill me up. You're not going to get addicted. Keep taking it, bro. And until, until I did. And it was, it, I remember the night it was January 11th. I went into my cabinet. It was kind of, actually it was in the morning, January 11th. I walked into my, my bathroom, opened the, the, uh, medicine cabinet and there are all my pills placed perfectly with all the numbers on them, how many you have left, you know, what strength and opened it up. Like I do every day, pop a pill and shut that door, shut that glass. And when it did that glass reflected into my, my house, into my room. And I'm like, that was my epiphany. That was my moment of pivot. Right. I looked there and I said, bro, you live in a crack house. And I looked in my medicine cabinet and it was perfect, perfect. It was the only thing in my house in order, but yet my room was a freaking disaster. Right. And so out of, I don't, I, I'm a kind of an A type guy. I work on emotion. I flung that cabinet door open, grabbed every single one of those pills, popped the cap and dumped them all into my toilet, flushed that toilet. And it was at that moment, Brett, that I'm like, shit, you're out of pills, right? That reality set in and I know I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble because I just dumped all of my pills. I had just got a refill. I can't go back to the doctor and say, hey, man, I flushed my pills. You know, I'm stuck. But I had been talking to myself like most of us that I needed to stop. And I'm like, hey, and in my moment of, of consciousness. I'm like, this is your opportunity, man. This is it. You have no more pills. You need to nut up. And I remember telling myself, I remember telling myself, you got to nut up and you just got to get through this. Now, some problems I had with this. I'm going to tell all your listeners, this is not the way to get sober. This is not the way to go through the process. The detox process from heroin, from opioids from alcohol, they can kill you, right? They can, you get the DTs, whatever they can, they can legitimately, I recommend going through it medically, but that wouldn't have worked for me. I think my, my, my God understood that. Like I'm hard headed. 
it needed to hurt. And so I'm in the bathroom, man. I'm in my bathroom. I'm sure you understand the detox process. You've talked to a lot of people, the worst pain I've ever been in my life. I would have rather been run over 50 times than have to experience this. There was a moment there that I was dry heaving so bad. I felt like the bones in my back were going to shoot out my mouth. Like I had, yeah, it was just that much pain. And after defecating on yourself and urinating yourself and dry heaving for that long, it gets to a point you're like, this is, this is, I'm dying. I'm going to die. And so it was in that moment that, uh, that humility set in that humbleness where we talk about, Hey, you got to hit rock bottom. Um, you got to surrender. That was, that was my moment. And unfortunately it took me seven days. I was in that bathroom for seven days. Um, I stopped pooping and peeing myself at about day three because there was just nothing left in my body. Anything I would eat. I, it just would, I mean, I don't, I don't know what was happening, but I finally had a conversation with God and just said, Hey, listen, I'm not, I know you're in charge now. I understand who I am. I'm, I'm powerless, but I'm going to ask you to let me walk out of here. If you give me an opportunity to walk out, I'll, I'll do things. I'll try to change the world. I'll try to do whatever you ask me to do. But if not, if that's not your decision, take my life right now, because I don't, I don't know, Brett, if I could have handled another hour, I don't even know if I could have handled another 10 minutes. Cause I was, I mean, when you're at that point, man, that's, des- that's, that's desperation. Right. And I, and I wish that all of us as addicts had to go through that because today that's what keeps me sober. The fear. I mean, and also, I've, I mean, I've done some things in my life that I've changed and, and I, I've put bigger purposes. And I mean, I, we all know what we have to do, but there's also a sense of fear that I don't want to ever go through that again, because I know my body, like I said, self-regulation, you put, put it in front of me, man, I'll, I'll take a pill and I'll end up Africa naked in some dude's tent. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Right. Like, let's be real. Right. Cause that stuff just plays it. It, it, when we're addicts, we understand what that means. One time just throws us for a loop. And so I, I really am very cautious today on how I, how I live my life out of, and not out of fear, but just don't want to go through that again, man. It took everything from me and I'm just, I'm still in the rebuilding process. That was an incredible story, man. I appreciate you sharing that with me and and whoever's listening to this podcast. I mean, that was a very powerful message and I, I really do appreciate you coming on and, and being so vulnerable and honest. I mean, you, you, you said some things on here that I feel like a lot of people wouldn't have the courage to say. I mean, you started with your pornography addiction as a child. And I mean, a lot of people, are too afraid to share about that. I mean, you shared about, you know, your, your shooting and the, the line of duty shooting. I mean, so many different elements to this story that I feel like a lot of people wouldn't have the courage to share. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing those details with us. Cause that's, that, that takes a lot of courage, man. I see a lot of strength in you and sharing, you know, just reminding the audience about what it's like to, to get clean, to get, to, to go through the DTs and, and just the horrible things that we might not think of. Uh, I mean, I think us as addicts, like we understand what it's like to kick drugs and to go through that process. But for the, for the person that's listening that, that may not be an addict, like they don't understand 
how painful that process is. You know, I had a guest on not too long ago and I just finished reading his memoir and he kicked alcohol cold Turkey and he almost died. Like he ended up, he ended up in his apartment for several days, almost died. Somehow he was able to get the strength to like crawl into a cab and get himself to the hospital. Like it's a serious thing. So I do appreciate that. You're also, um, that you're making that suggestion of, of seeking medical help when it comes time to quit, because it can be a life or death decision for us. Um, so we're kind of getting towards the end of the time. And I know you have your own podcast, uh, and, and you have other things that you're working on. So I'd love for you to, to plug some of those things for, for the listeners. So if they enjoyed what they heard today, if they, if they connected with your story, hopefully they'll check out your podcast, check out your website, some of the things that you're working on. So please tell us more about that. Yeah. If you don't mind, I appreciate you, you saying that Brett, it takes a lot of strength. It, it was hard. The first time you share your story, it's rough, right? It's clunky. It's, it's, difficult to talk about is emotional. I now realize that it's something I have to do for my own therapy. It's like a therapy session. As I sit here and tell you, my story doesn't change, right? It doesn't change. It's, it's what it is. That's, that's what happened. But what I've noticed is before I told my story, there was a monster under my bed and I was pacifying. I was feeding it by hiding my story and not sharing it. I just, and, and minimizing it. Hey, I'm not, you know, my story is not as cool as yours or, or I, I don't want to share my story, man. Once you rip that damn monster out from under your bed, you kill its power. And so the more we can talk about our story and we can share it and share it with other people, we become stronger mm-hmm. and that monster becomes weaker and it can't, you know, it no longer has power over us. And that's the greatest thing about addiction is you got to get to a point where it does not have power over you. And so I appreciate you noticing that. And that's an invitation I would also like to give with your guests is share your story, man. Talk about it, you know. But um, so so what I do now is is I specialize. I, I love working with, with individuals who struggle with addiction and PTSD. I've run a recovery program. I ran an, inpa- or an outpatient program for five and a half years. And I realized I was missing the boat. I was, I was just throwing information out there to a lot of people. Some of them grasped, but some of them didn't, you know, they weren't, they didn't, they were being made to be there by probation or the jails or whatever. So I stepped back and started an online program to it called chase the vase. Um, so where men and women can come to be online. For example, if you think about it, most of us can't take 30 days out of our lives and go to recovery. Can't do it. I have a job. I have kids. I have bills. I got to support my family, but I need help, but I can't go to recovery. See, there's no other options. Sometimes people have like programs at night, but they're too far away. So what I did is I, I, I bridged that gap. I said, Hey, you don't have to go to recovery, but you got, you got to buy into something. So I started a program called chase the vase. And what it does is it allows men and women to meet me. Like we're talking that we can do therapy together. I can work one-on-one with you. You can work one-on-one me. You have your answers and questions. Everything's taken care of online, right? That way you don't have to leave your family for 30 days, but you get the same, actually better attention because when you're in a group full of 50 people, you're not getting anything answered. They're not working on your program. Like 
in my opinion, when I was in active addiction, if I could have just got away from my active addiction for 30 days, learn some tools, regroup and pivot, I'd have been okay. But I was on top of that addiction every day and it was just consuming me. So that's, that's kind of what I do. I also have a podcast like you, man, you're, you're, you're doing, I love, I love your show, man. It's called, it's called chase the base as well. Um, everything I do is called chase the base, Facebook, Instagram, and basically all chase the base means is we all are chasing like the vase for us is a trophy, something like sobriety. I'm chasing that dude. It's, it's intentional and I'm active. Right. Uh, it's not a passive thing. You don't get you don't get sober from being passive. Mm. You can't sit on your couch and get sober. You have to do something. Eventually you have to get up and just go attack it. And that's what we do is chase the vases. You're chasing whatever your vase. Like for me, my vase was sobriety. It was to have a good relationship. I torn up two marriages. I'm on my third. Right. Well, who am I to give relationship device out? You know, but but I wanted to chase that. I wanted to have a. a an, an amazing relationship with the woman that I could give back. And so I, I've got it. Now I want to be the best father I can be. I mean, you're always trying to improve in some area. I want to, I want to lose 50 pounds. Maybe that's the vase. I want to help my, I want to get my physical wellness, right? I got to get, I got to chase something. And, and so that's what I've, that's what I've been able to do. I, I really, I have another podcast called agents of recovery where I work with an NFL football player and a therapist, Max Hall and blue Robinson. I'm going to shout those guys. Cause they're, they're in the line of work, just like us, man, just trying to heal people. And uh, it takes all of us. And what, what I try to tell clients and, and people in recovery, hey, if my program doesn't work, go to Brett. F go to somebody that you can connect with and heal. Mm -hmm. and, and that's I just want people to experience what we're experiencing, that strength and hope, you know, that, hey, man, there is hope I can't overcome this addiction. But but I got to get in my mind. It's going to be a little bit rocky. You know, I got to I got to go through the work. Don't miss that. Don't miss that step. Don't avoid the work. Mm, mm, yeah. And I, I do have a website, chasethevase.com. I have a chase the vase, a 30 day challenge for anybody. Chase the vase challenge .com. So if, if you need to find me, you can post it on it. I'm just I just want to be involved in, in in helping this this epidemic that we have. Yes. I appreciate it, man. And, and, and as always, I'll, I'll have the links for all the, for the website, the podcast, all that stuff will be in the show notes, man. I really do appreciate you coming on today, sharing. I can hear that passion and, and I can totally relate to that, man, because recovery has, has saved my life. It's changed my life and it's hard not to be passionate about something that that's just had such a huge impact on, on who I am, you know, and I, and I know it's the same for you and, and I don't know, honestly, I don't know if I'd be here if I hadn't found recovery, man. I'd probably be in prison or, or six feet under. So it's it's really, it really is like, I feel like today it's my calling is to try to carry that message and let other people that are struggling know that, hey, there's a different way to live. You don't have to keep using. You don't have to, to continue down this path. Like, there's a way out. Uh, and I can tell that you're on that same path you're on that same path, man. You're, you're here trying to spread that message. And man, I really, really do appreciate you coming on the show today. Oh, dude, I'm honored, bro. I'm honored. Brett, you're killing it out there, dude. Seriously. I really love your recovery podcast, man. It's, it's dope. It's, I think people should listen to them. I appreciate it, man. 
Brock, thank you again for coming on the show today. I really enjoyed our conversation. And guys, I would encourage you to check out both of his podcasts, Chase the Vase and Agents of Recovery. I've been binging them since we recorded our episode, and they are excellent. As always, the links will be in the show notes. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.